Good morning. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Drew, uh, senior pastor here at Bel Air. And I had, I had the kind of the oddest experience a few months ago. Uh, my son and I were, uh, he was riding his bike. I was following him on the skateboard down the street. And there was this house down at the end of our block that actually has been vacant as long as we've lived in this community the last three years. And we noticed that there was cars in the uh, garage door was open and it looked like people were moving in. So we, uh, you know, wheel into the driveway. Don't see anybody yet. And uh, right then, uh, the gentleman comes out of the garage and he's kind of, you know, <laughs> shocked that we were uh, coming up. And I said, oh, I just, hi, I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm one of the neighbors. And he's looking at me like, like I'm crazy. Uh, and then I could hear this sound and it was my son climbing his tree. Um, and I'm like, Judah, no, get down off the tree. And there was something about him in the tree that like melted the guy's heart. He's like, oh, no, he can climb the tree. And oh, okay. You know, so I'm introducing myself and I was saying how great the neighborhood was. And he's just staring at me like I'm like from a different planet. And so I'm, I'm telling him about all the things in our neighborhood, how much I love it, how people, you know, play out front and how we have a 4th of July parade where we close down the streets and the kids like decorate their bikes. And it's just, welcome to the neighborhood. We've got this really cool, and he's looking at me like, and then I'm like, is there, you know, what, is there something on me, you know? <laughs> and uh, and, I, and I, so finally I just stopped. I said, have I said something wrong? And he says, no, but uh, I just didn't think the neighborhood would be like this. And I'm thinking, why would you move into this neighborhood if you didn't, you know? And he said, he said, you know, we've already had the cops called on us. And immediately my mind is like racing, where's Judah, you know, like... <laughs> Um, and he said, you know, right before we moved in, you know those pods, you know, the things that you rent and you put your stuff in and then it moves ahead of you and it gets delivered to the, the house, the apartment ahead of you? He said, uh, apparently when that thing showed up at the house, it was in the street and one of the neighbors called the cops because they didn't like the thing in the street. It was like this eyesore. So the cops showed up and he says, you know, so we've, we've actually have questioned like, oh no, did we... Move into the wrong neighborhood. And I said, oh, I know who that neighbor is. <laughs> um, no, they're great. I mean, yeah, they'll call the cops on everybody. Uh, but, but, you know, take the time and get to know them, and they're really sweet. And, you know, there was this, I thought the neighborhood was this, and I saw just the fear just kind of wash off of them. He invited me into his home. We started watching football for a little bit. And... Uh, the weeks went by and the months went by and we've been over there and every time I go by, it seems like they're out talking to neighbors and they've now integrated into the community. I think it was like two months ago, I said, gosh, how's it going? They're like, we love it here. We love this neighborhood. And that little experience, I believe, is the longing of every human being on the planet. We long to belong. It's hardwired in us. We want to be welcomed, we want to be noticed, we want to be cared for and loved and encouraged. And that, that experience, I believe, is just a, a foretaste of the fullness of what it means to, to truly belong. I want to show us a passage of Scripture, and I hope that you leave here uh, headed to whatever game you're going to watch this afternoon <laughs> with a deep sense that you belong and how you can experience that belonging. One, that you belong, and two, how you can experience that belonging. Why don't you open up your Bibles 
Uh, I don't have a, a number up here, so. So it's Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Uh, those pew Bibles are the red book in front of you. If you're in the front row, a little cubby. So what page is it? Uh, Hebrews 10, 19. Oh, Ron, you are slowing down, brother. If you don't know, Ron Moore, right over there, is always the quickest on the draw from Texas. So he thinks he can find the passage. But now the screen's off. 976, and Reese, you, you were on it. 976 in your pew Bibles, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Uh, let's, let's dive right in here. And keep those Bibles open. We're going to take some notes. And if you're joining us online, welcome. Hopefully your screen's working online as you, as you join in. Let me read verse 19 of Hebrews 10. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This, my friends, is God's word. All right, why don't you open those Bibles, keep them open. And if you received a bulletin as you came in, uh, in the bulletin is actually, you can open it up. There's a place for you to take notes. Some of you bring your own journals. Some of you, you've got your own paper. But a great place to take notes. Again, two things that I want to cover, that we belong. And second, how we can experience that belonging. Now, I said earlier, we, we long to belong. We, we so desire to be noticed, to be invited in, to be part of the inner circle, whatever that is, at work, in our neighborhood, with people that we admire, that we respect. And this section of Scripture begins with the word, therefore. Now, everybody in seminary has heard this quote, this phrase. Whenever you see therefore, you've got to ask, why is it there for? What's the reason? It's there. So whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you've got to pause, pull out the remote, rewind, and read what happens before that because the author is saying something so significant, so important. He says, therefore, because of that truth, because of that reality. Now, here's how you can experience. Well, what happens before? You can read it later. Halftime. You can press pause. A lot of time today. <laughs> you can read Hebrews 10, the beginning few verses. And in that quick overview, it says this. That the greatest inner circle in the history of the cosmos that has more power, more authority, more love, more grace, more truth, more promise, all the things that you've been longing for in every human relationship, that little thing that triggers in your brain, that hit of dopamine when you see that your, your uh, Instagram post gets liked, you know that thing that you, oh, even more so when somebody comments on your post, you know that little thing that, that hits, that is a, a shadow, that is a picture of the fullness of what we all eternally long for. And the writer of Hebrews says that we belong through faith in Jesus to the most perfect inner circle of community. And it's this. We've been invited into a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God says, welcome home. You are enough. 
because of what my son has done. Now, it's so amazing. And a little, little backstory. You can read this later. Uh, Halftime. It's kind of long. Uh, during the commercials, you can press pause, right? Uh, read Leviticus 16. How many Americans read Leviticus 16 in the middle of the Super Bowl? I don't know, but you can do it today. Leviticus 16, it gives this picture of one day a year called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And in the beginning of Leviticus 16, this is in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament, there's this reminder that God gives Moses and he says that I am so good, I am so beautiful, I am so perfect, I am so loving and holy that I can't have brokenness or selfishness or sin which the word sin literally means that you've, you've aimed for the wrong thing. I can't have that in my presence. So God says to Moses, you know, your brother Aaron, the high priest, he can't come and be in my presence anytime he wants or he will die. I want you to hear that. There is a perfect level of holiness that God says, I can't have anything broken in my presence. And yet at the same time, God longs for us to be in God's presence. So the history of Scripture is us as humanity remembering how God wants us to live so we can experience God's presence, continually forgetting that truth and that reality and things get worse and then back and forth. And in Leviticus 16, you see this, this ritual, this day, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Among many things, the high priest would have to present a sin offering and a, uh, uh, other offerings on behalf of not only himself but also the people. And in the midst of all that, there are two goats. And one of the goats is slaughtered, is, is killed. And the high priest has to cleanse himself and put on the right clothes and do the right thing. And he has to enter into this place called the most holy of holies. Behind a curtain. In the tent of meeting. He could only, and the only one, the whole year could be the high priest. Only he could enter for behalf of the people once a year. And in there, there was many things including the Ark of the Covenant of which God's presence dwelled like a cloud over the ark. And he would sprinkle the blood of that goat on top of the mercy seat, on top of the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And literally, he would, on behalf of the entire people, all the brokenness, all the sin, all the selfishness, all the ways in which they hurt and destroyed each other, he would present once a year that, that sacrifice that would cover over their sin. But there was a second goat because he would come back out and this, this goat got to live, but... That goat was a scapegoat. That's where the word scapegoat comes from because Aaron the high priest would cover and, and pray over and confess the sins of the whole community on that goat and that goat was then sent out into the wilderness. That's where we get the term scapegoat from. And the writer of Hebrews says every year after year after year after year, people would continue to sacrifice, trying to bridge this gap, trying to, to cover over, trying to just be in God's presence. You see, God doesn't lower the bar and say, you can do whatever you want and be in my presence. He says, no, I demand perfection. And this is the good news. The good news is a historical event that demands you to change everything that you know about the world. The good news of the gospel is this, is that Jesus has come as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was killed outside the city gates, so he was our true and perfect scapegoat. He was sacrificed on our behalf, and the writer of Hebrews says that, that through his blood, 
We can enter behind the curtain. We can actually experience God's presence through faith in Jesus Christ. You got to hear this. You belong. You are enough in Christ. God has invited you. You're not going to die. He says, come and find life. The writer of Hebrews says, you belong to the greatest community there is. It centers around the community of one that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The problem is, is that many of us don't know how to experience that belonging. So it's true when we put our faith and trust in Jesus that we belong, but many of us don't experience it. We don't experience the joy of it, the peace of it, the security of it, the hope of it, the promise of it, all the, all the things that God longs for us to experience. It's true on paper. It's like a gift that we've got there and we just haven't opened up it yet because we, have, we, we don't think it's that valuable. I want to give you seven things that are here, very practical, inside your bulletin. You can write those down. Maybe in your phone you want to put a note. Seven things for how you can experience this belonging. It's all there in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. The first is this, remembering. Open those Bibles back up. Take a look. Verse 23, let us, in plural, let us. By the way, every single one of these things is things that we have to do together. I can't do it for you. Uh, it's not that you can just watch this from afar. This is something that we get to do together actively, to experience it together, to experience that belonging. Remembering, let us hold fast for the confession of our hope without wavering. There is something that happens when we gather as a group of people, whether it's here in this place, whether it's on the patio, whether it's in homes, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's on the phone or through text message, when we collectively remember together who God is and who God says we are, that when we get discouraged, when we lose hope, that we would say, no, remember, God is faithful. You don't have to earn God's love. He is faithful. He is just. He's going to carry it on to completion, as Philippians 1.6, because he started it. He always finishes what he starts. You see, we are called to help one another Remember, you know how much I love that word. I wrote my whole doctoral dissertation on that one word. I'm a geek. It's the word zakar. I love, let me hear you say zakar. Man, what a word. That word zakar, to remember, outnumbers the word believe five times to one in the Bible. It outnumbers the word trust two to one in the Bible. You can make the, the case that actually the serpent in the garden goes after their memory. Did God really say you can't eat from every tree the knowledge of good and evil? You see, at the beginning of time, we lost it all because we forgot who God is, who we are. That's a pattern throughout all of Scripture. When we forget, we co-opt the, the grand narrative of culture, which right now is the, the narrative of consumerism. We think of God as like a vending machine. The gospel is just a commodity and, and the church is just a place for us to just get and get and get. And we, we co-opt that language. And that's what the nation of Israel did. That's what people do when we forget. So you can experience belonging if and only if you are actively part of helping one another remember. Open up your Bible. Not just now, every day of the week. And when you answer somebody who says, you know, I'm really struggling. What should I do? Open up your Bible and answer it with God's truth and God's word. Your opinion, my opinion, sucks. <laughs> now, I'm going to get 
I'm going to get notes because I used that word? That's fine. It was worth it. God's word is true. I didn't say that at the 8.30 though. I should have said it at 8.30. I got next week. But truly, my opinion, apart from God's word, so falls short of truth. It's just my opinion. It's like vapor. It's like mist. What if we became a community that when we answered and we gave hope to one another, encouragement to one another, that we open it with the truth of what God has said. That's how we remember. It's the first thing. We got six more. Number two, verse 24, let us consider. So we're not just remembering together, we are considering together. And there's some people here at this church that are so good at this. This is what I mean. When I'm talking to them, it's like they're taking notes in their mind. It's as if they're considering what I'm actually saying is something worth listening to. Imagine that. I can tell that they're not just waiting for me to stop so that they can give their perspective. They're not just glazing over because they're thinking about they're, they're actually engaged and they're considering and they're paying attention. And they, then they respond with the truth of Scripture. Or maybe later that night they, they say, you know, I was really considering what you were saying. And, you know, there's this great book that I read. You see, this is far vastly different than what culture does today. We don't consider one another. We go around life and we have interactions with one another. and We don't listen to each other. All we want to do is talk at each other. We just want other people to listen to us. We want others to consider us. But to be the church, to experience that belonging, says that we have to practice considering one another. Listen. Be present. Maybe even pray in your heart and in your mind. God, give me the ability just to hear what you want me to hear. The third is this, in that same verse, 24, let us consider how to provoke. We need to be provoking one another. Now, this is actually a painful word. Think of John Wayne. Think of uh, his boots, the spurs on the back. Giddy up, cowboy. You know, little, little, oh, do you have spurs on? Oh, no, but you got boots on. But if you had spurs. Oh, yeah, you, you own spurs? Oh, yeah, of course. Everybody in Okay. Uh, to provoke in the side of a horse, it's painful. Uh, it's startling. Uh, it shakes you out of your, your, your comfort zone. It, it, it confronts your perspective. The writer of Hebrews says that if you want to experience what it means to belong to true community that is centered around the reality of Jesus, you have to be a people that practice provoking one another to good deeds. That you would confront one another, that you would stir one another up. We live in a culture where we provoke one another to, to anger, to hate, to bigotry. We, we provoke in the, in the bad ways. But think of this as, as stirring up. It's, it's speaking truth in love. It's saying to somebody, I know what you want is to stay in that relationship, but he treats you so bad. This is what you need. End the relationship. That's not easy to hear. You need people in your life that say to you, I, you know, I know you want me to just go along with this thing and the fact that you're, you're hiding that money from your company. Here's what you need to do. You've got to come clean. You've got to tell your boss, regardless of what the circumstances, you, you don't want to hear that. 
You don't want to hear that God says what is best for you is to live out your sexuality in a lifelong covenant called marriage. You don't want to hear that, but what you need is to live out God's call in your life. And we have to be a church that provokes one another to good deeds. You've got to be willing to hear it from others, and you've got to be willing to speak it to others as well. Now, you've got to be so grounded in the truth of God's word that if you're provoking somebody out of your own preferences, out of your own hang-ups, out of your own whatever it is, uh, you're not going to provoke them to good deeds. You'll provoke them to religion sometimes. We, we might have to work to earn God's love. And so how necessary for it is for us to, to provoke in the ways that, that set people free to live the life that God longs for them to live. But it's more than that. It's to provoke one another to love and good deeds. It's, it's not just good thoughts. And this leads me to, what, what number are we on? Four. Just seeing if you're paying attention. Four. Working. Working. So you've got remembering, considering, provoking, working. James says faith without good deeds is dead. That we've got to work out our faith. We've got to work out our salvation, as Paul says, with fear and trembling. You don't work for it, you work it out. That actually this, this reality of who you are in Christ, God says, now I want you to go live in the world... And as we describe it here, that we would live for the revival and renewal of every person, every neighborhood and city. That people would look at you and how you live your life. That it would be different than those that don't belong to that relationship with Jesus. That actually how, how you speak and the decisions that you make, your integrity. How quick you are to say, you know what, I was wrong. Forgive me. How quick you are to realize that you don't have it all together. You see, the writer of Hebrews says that the more that you can live out your faith, that you can work out your faith, that you can do these things, then you're going to experience the belonging of Christ. Now, that happens on our campus. It happens throughout our city. It happens around the globe. That you would work. That you would have love and good deeds that flow out of your life. Number five is this. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. That you would be meeting with one another. I mean, it's so basic. Uh, the word congregation is different than the word aggregation, right? Uh, you know those bingo things, you know, and they've got the, the metal thing and all the wooden balls. You know, that, that's an, an aggregate uh, of things, you know, a bag of marbles. That's not the church. But when we show up and we listen to some guy or some girl up front preach, and this is all our experience that we get, we're just an aggregate of individuals. So when the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect meeting with one another, he uses the word episynagoge, which is where we get the word synagogue from. It's this sense that we are interconnected, that we are interwoven, that we, that we actually, when, when some people are grieving, we grieve with them because they're part of our family. That when some people rejoice, we rejoice with them that we actually begin to see one another and listen to one another and, and bear one another's burdens. You know, there's over 51 another verses in the New Testament. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Encourage one another. You can't do this alone. There's no such thing as it's been said. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. 
We were made for each other. And if you want to experience a vibrant relationship with Jesus, we do that together in community. Number six, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. It's so easy to just kind of come once a year to get out of the habit. Number six, but encouraging one another. It's the sixth word, encouraging. We've got to be encouraging to one another. The, the Greek word is parakaleo. It literally means to come alongside, that's para, and kaleo is called. To come alongside one and, and to call out their best, to, to give them courage, to wrap courage around their life. You know, that's so feel-goody. It, it feels like it's the opposite of provoking, but it's the same thing. You know, some communities might be so far on the provoking that they don't encourage one another, or they're so far encouraging that they never challenge one another. The writer of Hebrews says both of those things have to happen at the same time. That we would challenge one another to, to confront one another and say, no, don't believe that lie. Don't do that. I, I make mistakes too. How much do we need God's grace? Let, let, let's pray through this together. That's the sixth thing. The final, the seventh thing is this. That we would be a community of seeing. It ends by saying, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The truth of Scripture says that God has begun something and he's going to finish it. That one day he's going to set all things right. He's going to completely get rid of evil and hate and disease and traffic and losers of sporting events <laughs> and crazy fans. I mean, it's the fullness of all that God longs for. So don't lose hope. Don't have your eyes on your disease more than your eyes on the one who saves you. Don't have your eyes more on your unemployment or your relationship status more than the one who says, I see you. I know you. I love you with a, a love that no human will ever be able to match. And if you follow me, I want you to experience relationships and a community that, that transcend your marital status, whether you can become a parent or not, whether you have a job or not, no matter where you live, you can actually experience the fullness of all these things in a way the culture can't even wrap its mind around. So, I haven't done much right now. 25 minutes. Uh, I'll say it this way. I sure did waste a lot of time in the last 25 minutes. Uh, in the last 25 minutes, I really got in the way of this. Because every second you spent listening to me, you couldn't provoke one another. You couldn't encourage one another. You couldn't remember together with one another. You couldn't see together. You let me, perhaps, provoke a little, encourage a little. I'll say it again. I don't use this word very much. But if this is the full experience of what it is for you to be part of God's family, just what you experience, that sucks. That's nothing compared to the fullness of living out this life together. Don't let this hour and a half on a Sunday 
be the fullness of what it means to be part of, to belong to God's family. Christ has called you to something so much more. Join a life group. Serve. Show up and believe that actually through Jesus Christ that you are indispensable. Long for more than just this. Don't give up on this, but build off of this. And as a church, we describe it this way. We want to follow Jesus, not just on Sundays, but every day and everywhere with everyone. To the degree that you can practice those seven things, to the degree your heart will be melted at the experience of belonging and realizing the fullness of what that is. Let's pray. God, we need these reminders to shake us up, to remind us that you call us to something more than just Sunday worship. Help us to be a remembering community, a considering community, a provoking community, a working community, an encouraging community, a seeing community, and a meeting community. God, we can't do this on our own. We believe, but help us in our unbelief. We, we think we can do it, but God, give us the strength to do so. Jesus, we thank you for your love. And as we come to the table, may we be reminded of the price that you paid, how you were willing to be on the cross, experiencing cosmic loneliness so that we would be invited in to experience cosmic belonging with you. It's in your son's name, God, we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.